In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today in the Gospel of St. Matthew that we read, we speak about the story where Christ is casting out demons, and some people are marveling at what he's doing, and other people are accusing him of casting out the demons by the power of the devil himself, and essentially saying that he is working uh, side by side with the devil, and that he is doing this um, kind of as, as an evil type of miracle, not as, um, not as a miracle from God, but a miracle from the devil. They said this in verse 24, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So we see here that the people are blaming Christ. But this was actually an excuse for something deeper in, in that they didn't want to accept or believe him. So they're trying to make any excuse to justify themselves of why they accuse him and why they reject him. And we see actually many, many examples in the life of Christ, or just speaking about God in general, when people are blaming God for various things. And we see in the ministry of Christ, every time Christ was doing something good, many people would come and they would criticize him or they would blame him, trying again to justify their own opinion. And sometimes we find ourselves doing the same, that when we have a certain opinion of how things should go in our life, and we see yet they're going in a different way, an opposite way, that we also might be blaming God and accusing Him of not doing what is right or having a bad motive um, because we don't like the actions, we don't like the things that He is doing. So I want to speak a little bit today about blaming God. And first we'll look at several examples of people that actually blamed Christ for different things. The first is what we spoke about today in the scripture reading is that He was accused of being insane. Was accused of being insane by his own people. In Mark 3, verse 21, it says, But when his own people heard about this, speaking about him casting out demons, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. For he is out of his mind. This is what they concluded about him, because he is doing something they cannot understand. He's doing something they, they, they cannot process. They don't understand what it is that he is doing. They don't understand his teachings. They don't understand his actions. They don't understand him. And so the conclusion that they took was, is that he must be crazy. He's out of his mind. And sometimes we want God to fit into the mold of what we think God should be. And if God doesn't fit into the mold of what we think he should be, we blame him and we say, God is crazy. God, God doesn't understand. God is, this is nonsense, what God is doing. He should have done this, one, two, three, four, but instead he is doing something completely different. And maybe we blame God because we don't understand him. We don't understand. But the reason we don't understand is because we don't see what he sees. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't have a full picture. We don't have a full view of what he sees. This is similar to the difference between the perception of a parent and the perception of a, of a young child. The child doesn't understand what the, what the parent sees. The, the child has a very, very limited view of, of the world. And in that view, the things that the child wants to do makes all the sense in the world. They, they, they completely and are wholeheartedly, you know, think that a certain action that they want to take is good. Like jumping into fire, for instance. They think this is good because it's nice. It looks nice. It, you know, they, 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 it's attractive to them and they don't understand the danger that's in it. So it's something nice. And so when the parent pulls the child away from this fire or whatever it is that they are trying to harm themselves with, the child cries as an upset and is angry toward the parents because clearly the parents don't understand. The parents are not allowing the child to do what they think is right. And so we have this um, problem that happens because you have two people with a very different perception. The parent understands the danger of the fire and knows what will happen to the child. 
So it doesn't allow the child, even regardless of whether the child is upset or not, actually it doesn't even matter if the child is upset. It's something so critical and important that the parent is going to protect their child from it regardless of what the child thinks. Imagine if that's the case on a human level between a parent and a child. Imagine how much more is that the case between God and us. That God doesn't just see with human senses. He sees with supernatural senses and he sees past and present and future and he sees everything perfectly. And not only does he see everything perfectly, but he loves us even more than our parents love us. And he has the power to protect us even more than our parents have the power to protect us. So when we see him doing something that doesn't make sense to us, our first in reaction or instinct shouldn't be to blame him, to accuse him, to say about him that he doesn't understand, that he's out of his mind, that he's crazy, kind of like these people did when they saw Christ casting out demons. But instead, maybe our worldview and our perception needs to change to match what it is that God is doing. If God doesn't allow me to do something that I want, Maybe I should change my perception. Instead of looking at God and blaming Him and saying God is the one that's wrong, maybe I should think, well, maybe this thing that I want is wrong. Maybe this thing that I want is not as good as I imagine it to be, as I perceive it to be. And even though maybe our senses don't tell us that, but our faith tells us that. Our faith tells us that I trust in God and what He is doing and not to blame Him. Christ was also accused of being a sinner by the Pharisees. After He heals the, the man born blind, it says in John chapter 9, where the Pharisees are speaking to this man that he was healed, they said, we know that this man is a sinner. We know. We know that he is a sinner. We know that he does the opposite to what is good. Okay? The Pharisees were very self-righteous, and they believed that they understood the law, and that they were the righteous people, and they were the ones that were completely following the law in every way, and they were the teachers and the authority and the ones that are teaching other people to follow them and actually that's what they were teaching them, to follow them instead of to follow God. And so when, when Christ came and he was fulfilling the law in a way that the Pharisees didn't like, they didn't like the fact that he would heal people on the Sabbath. They didn't like the fact that people would go after him. They didn't like that he broke the mold of what they thought someone should do and someone should be, and they were jealous of him. And so they were moralizing. They were saying, you know, we know what is good and what is bad, and God does not know. He, he, is, he is telling us something opposite to what we believe. And again, in society, this is maybe, well, this is definitely what society has done in general as a whole, is that we believe ourselves to be more moral and more righteous than God himself. We go and say, well, what is this that God is commanding? God is commanding us to, you know, to reject certain practices and to reject certain things that he says are wrong. But actually, this is wrong. We, we should accept those things because we need to be loving and inclusive to everyone. So regardless of what anyone is doing in the world, regardless of what anyone is practicing in the world, we have to accept everything. We have to accept everything without question. And yet God is coming and saying, no, there are certain things we don't accept. There are certain things that are abominations. There are certain things that we reject. And yet, the world goes to God and says, God, you are a sinner. God, you are the one who is wrong. You are, you are not moral like us. You are not as loving as us. You are not as righteous as us. We are the most righteous. This is like the people when they are building like this Tower of Babel, thinking that they can reach the heavens, thinking that they themselves are God, thinking that they can achieve any, any, any wonder or any act, just like God himself. And we as a society, as a whole, have reached this point where we believe that we are God. We believe that we can do everything God can do. We believe we can understand anything that, that God can understand. And we think actually we are greater than God. And actually, one of the famous atheists of the 20th century, whose name was Friedrich Nietzsche, he said, God is dead, we have killed him. 
we have killed him. That means what? That means we don't need him anymore. We are greater than him. Not only on an understanding level, like as a level of science, where the level of science has now progressed to the point where we believe that we know everything, but also even at the moral level, where we say we are, we are more righteous than God. The Christian doctrine is actually immoral. The Christian doctrine is false and wrong, and we actually have a greater, uh, better way of, moral, of moralization, of morality, of ethics than God himself. By the high priest, Christ was accused of corrupting the nation. As a justification, when asking Pontius Pilate to crucify Christ, the Pharisees came and they said, what we found this fellow perverting the nation. They are arguing that he sets himself up as a king, as a king. They're saying what people are following him and he is telling the people to follow him. He is accepting the worship of the people. He is accepting that he becomes the one to whom everyone submits. Right. And yet this is the, they, they're rejecting this. They're saying, no, people should not be submitting to him. People should not be praying to him. People should not be worshiping him. Right? Because this destroyed like the power structure that the Pharisees wanted. The Pharisees wanted they to be the center of attention. They to be the power of the nation. They're the ones that have the authority, not Christ. They want the people to follow them, not to follow him. And, and same, same with us today, you know, in our society. Christianity is, is something that is, that is commanding us to follow God, not to follow anyone else. We are to follow him. When the apostles were being persecuted for preaching, and St. Peter was responding to the Pharisees. And he said, what? That we should follow God and not man. We should follow God and not man. So here they are accusing him. They're saying, you are corrupting the nation. You're corrupting our power struggle. You're corrupting our government. You're corrupting the way that we do things. And certainly in the early church, very much so, the Christians were seen as a radical sect. They were seen as this group of people that operated under their own laws, under their own system, and, and they were not afraid even of dying for their beliefs. And at a time when people would be killed by, for not worshiping idols and not offering incense to idols, these Christians, they remained steadfast in their faith and continued faithfully in, in, in worshiping God and even allowed themselves to be killed as a result. So this group frightened the people because they were so steadfast, they were so, uh, you know, focused on what it is that they believed and what it is that they wanted and what it is that they thought was right, that it didn't matter who threatened them, it didn't matter what other people said, this is what they were going to do. And actually this is what made the church so strong in the early years of Christianity because the church didn't care about what was attacking it. The church didn't care who was against it. Now sadly a lot of times we are afraid of who is attacking us, of who is criticizing us, of who is coming to tell us that you are wrong. And we find ourselves having to stay quiet we go into our workplaces, we stay quiet. We go with people that are maybe friends or acquaintances that we have in the world and we stay quiet. We find ourselves staying quiet everywhere because everybody tells us, no, you can't open your mouth. We don't want to hear what you have to say. At the same time, we are required to hear what the world has to say. When someone comes to me and says, no, this is my beliefs and, and you have to accept me the way that I am and you have to tolerate me the way that I am. And if we open our mouths against them, they say, no, you, you, we, you're ostracized, you're rejected because this is what because you don't accept me but on the flip side when I come to someone I say this is what I believe I believe in God I believe that we should go to church I believe we should do this I'm labeled as what as someone who is judgmental as someone who's ridiculous as someone who is illogical and yet we as Christians we don't go try pushing our faith on other people we don't tell people unless you believe what we believe we can't have a relationship with you or we can't talk to you or we are hate you or we you know and yet that's the word the way that the world treats uh, treats us so we have to always be mindful of this and not to be afraid to declare 
openly what it is that we believe as Christians, but with love, not afraid of what kind of shaking of the system is going to result because of our faith, but to say it openly, regardless of what the consequences might be. Also, Christ was accused of being too harsh. This is in the parable of the talents, uh, where the owner or the, the, the master in this parable represents God, and he is giving talents to these three different servants. And there's one servant that he gave one talent, and he expected this servant to work with this talent and to produce fruit and to have interest and to bring him the, like, the gain, the, the interest that he earned from this talent. But this servant did not do anything. He was afraid of his master, and so he buried the talent in the ground, and he didn't work with it, and he didn't, he didn't earn any income at all. So when the master came, the steward gave him back his one talent exactly as it was. And so when the master is asking the steward, why didn't you at least put this talent in the bank? Why didn't you try to get any interest, any income at all from this talent? He responded and said, what? Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So he's blaming this, this master. The master who gave him this talent and told him, hey, work with this. Like, I'm giving this to you of my own because you are my steward. I want you to work. I want you to do something. And instead of coming and even and apologizing and say, well, no, I'm sorry. I didn't do the right thing. He is blaming the master and he's saying, well, it's because you are too harsh. I was afraid. I was afraid that you were going to judge me. I know that you're a hard man. I, I know that actually this talent, maybe you won it by false means because you, you reaped where you do not sow and gather where you do not scatter seed. Sometimes when we ourselves are rebuked by God because of our own mistakes, because of our own sin, instead of accepting this, instead I blame God himself. And I say, you have no right to judge. So you have no right to, to blame. You have no right to tell me that what I'm doing or saying is wrong because you are too harsh. And in every way, you have too many rules and too many things that you tell us to do. This accusation that this servant is giving actually it, it reflects an ignorance of what God actually wanted him to do. The talents that God gives us are, are gifts that God wants us to enjoy and he wants us to multiply them and he wants us to use them and he wants us to share them with other people for the salvation of everyone. They are not because God needs the money. They're not because God needs the talents. This master didn't need the talent that the servant had. And actually knowing this servant, he could have very easily taken this talent from the very beginning and given it to someone else because he knew that those other people were going to bring fruit. But God wants us all to have an opportunity. He wants us all to enjoy his gifts and his blessings. And he gives each of us a chance. And he says, these are the gifts that I'm giving you. Be responsible with these gifts. Be responsible with these things. Be responsible with the children that I've given you and raise them up in the fear of God. Be responsible with your body. Be responsible with your mind. Be responsible with your senses and use them in a way that is edifying and good. And then take all this that you know about in the church and go out and share it with the world. Because you are the means by which that the world will be saved because you are going to go and, and, and explain it. You're going to teach it. You're going to preach it. You're going to show by your own love the truth of the Christian doctrine. This is the talent that God has given and he wants us to use it. So we, when, when we fail in this, when we don't do as we ought, we should come with humility asking for God's mercy and forgiveness, not accusing him and justifying ourselves and our actions that we did. In the parable of the prodigal son, God, in the, in the person of the father in the story, is accused of favoritism by the older son. After the prodigal son returns and he wants to have a party for his younger son because he's so joyful that he returned, when the older son finds out, he objects and he tells the father, 
Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Do we sometimes feel that God is unjust in forgiving sinners, in forgiving our own enemies? Do we find ourselves unable to accept that people who have harmed us or hurt us in our life, that they could sincerely come to repentance and that God can sincerely forgive them and that they can have salvation? Do we believe this? Do we, do we grumble against them? And do we grumble against God because he has allowed them to prosper? He has allowed them to enjoy life. He has allowed them to gain. Or do we feel because they hurt me at one point in my life, then they should be forever condemned and forever punished and forever never given another opportunity to grow and to increase and to gain. This reflects maybe a lack of love on our part. This older son in this parable, instead of being joyful for the return of his younger brother, all he could do was complain. And when he saw that his father was joyful and even wanting to, to throw a party and to sacrifice an animal and to have this you know, joyous celebration, all the, the older son could think about is, why didn't you give this to me? Why didn't you offer this to me? Why are you showing favoritism? And actually, it wasn't favoritism at all. The father said, your, your younger brother was dead and now he is alive. And so for this reason, we celebrate. Why aren't you celebrating with us? Why aren't you joyful like we are joyful? God wants us to be joyful at the return of a sinner, even if that sinner is someone that we consider to be our enemy. God wants us to reconcile. God wants us to show love and compassion and not only be thinking of ourselves. The last uh, example of someone accusing God I'm going to speak about is when Adam accused God after he ate of the forbidden fruit. And he said what to God after God is asking him, why did you eat? Why did you do this? He said, what well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree of the tree and I ate. What is he saying? He's saying, it's your fault, actually, because you're the one who gave me the woman. And if you hadn't given me the woman, then I wouldn't be in this situation right now because she wouldn't have tempted me with the fruit. I wouldn't have ate of the fruit. And actually, it's all her fault. So here he's blaming not just the woman saying that Eve was the fault because she's the one who brought the forbidden fruit to him. But he's saying, God, actually, you're the one at fault because you're the one who gave me this woman. God, you're, you're at fault for all the problems in my life. You are the one at fault because of all the bad relationships I've had. You're the one at fault for everything. Why do you allow? Why do you give me all these things when, when you could have given me otherwise, when you could have given me something else? Do we accuse God because he doesn't protect us? Do we accuse God because he gives us people that are difficult in our lives? Do we accuse God because of all the trials and problems that we face in our life? Is God the one to blame for all of these things? Is he the reason why the world is corrupted like it is? Actually, this world that we live in is the product of all of our wrong choices. Every single one of our wrong choices is what has caused the world to be as it is today. And maybe me personally, I have nothing to do with certain, certain aspects of certain areas of the corruption in the world, but I certainly have to do with other areas. All of us has blame to take for the way that the world is. All of us has wronged another person. All of us have lusted with our eyes. All of us have had bad thoughts. All of us have gossiped. All of us have done wrong. And so it is not for me to go and to blame other people and point at them and say, no, this person is the problem. God, why did you create this person? You shouldn't have given me this person in my life because they are the problem. Actually, we are all the problem. We are all the problem. 
And if I stop looking outwardly at the people around me and I begin to look inwardly, I will sincerely find all the times that I've wronged others, all the times that I'm the one that should have taken the blame, but maybe I deflected the blame. Instead of aiming at our finger at God and pointing at Him and saying, God, you are the one at fault, we should point the finger at us and say, I am the one at fault, ha have mercy on me, a sinner. We are the ones to blame. And so here again, as another accusation or another example of people accusing God for different reasons. So we ask a question very briefly, why is it that we accuse? Why is it that we accuse God? The first reason is we have a wrong perception of God and His will. Like we said at the beginning, we don't understand His will. We don't understand His perception. We don't see what He sees. So for that reason, we accuse Him. We don't see the full picture as he does and we point our fingers and we accuse him because we don't see correctly. The second reason we might accuse is because we are not able to take responsibility for our actions. I don't want to take responsibility. I want to pretend and I want to imagine that I am blameless in every way. I don't want to accept that I have weakness. I don't want to accept that I make mistakes. I don't want to accept that I do wrong. And so for that reason, I imagine that I'm right in everything. So somebody else has to be to blame. Someone else, whether it be another person or whether it be God himself, I will never accept that I'm at fault in anything. And even if I realize that I'm at fault in something, I will not admit it. I will not admit it to others. And I barely even admit it to myself every time the thought that I am wrong in some area of my life comes to me. Maybe I want to just think of something else. I don't like to meditate on the idea that I am a sinner. I don't like to meditate on the idea that I am at fault in something. So it is easy for me, just like Adam did, to point the finger at somebody else and say, no, I, the other person is to blame. Also, I might have a sense of self-pity and entitlement. I feel like everyone around me should be serving me. Everything around me should be for me. Everything around me should be perfect just for me. And I'm not thinking about maybe what is good for others. I'm thinking only about what is good for me. And every time something bad happens to me, I have this sense of a victimization or a sense of self-pity that I'm just wallowing in sorrow because of all these things that are happening to me. And it's easy for me to blame another person because I'm a victim. In every way, I consider myself to be a victim. And as a victim, someone has to be to blame. You know, for, for, every, for every victim, there is someone who attacked that victim. So who is the one who attacked me? I need to find that person who attacked me, and I place all of the blame on them. But that's actually not, not right. I'm not a victim in everything. It is not the case. I shouldn't be feeling self-pity in everything. We are in a world that is fallen, and is painful, and there is difficulties. But it doesn't mean that God is the one at fault. Again, this world is the creation of us that we have created through our wrong choices and our sin. The fourth reason that we might accuse God is because we have knowledge about God, but we never tasted Him. We don't taste Him. We don't know what He's actually like. We read about God. We have a distant understanding of God. We understand what the church is teaching and so on and so on at a basic level. But I never really delved in and had this close relationship with God to make me really feel the love that He has for me. If I really feel that somebody loves me very much, then I, when they do something that I don't understand, I don't immediately jump to assuming that it's because they are bad or because they don't love me or because they are you know, to be blamed in some way. I find some other reason. Think of someone maybe in your life that loves you very, very, very much. And then when something happens that might look like they neglected you 
or might look like they cursed you or might look like something that they did against you but maybe before you jump to that conclusion you're going to think to yourself well maybe there's another explanation maybe there's another explanation because i know this person loves me so much they would never do that if you if you've ever thought that thought or said that about someone they would never do that why do we say they would never do that because we know how much they love us and if somebody accuses them of saying or doing something against us we say no they would never do that because i know how close they are to me i know how much they care about them they would never do that so the same we should do with god so if if my knowledge of god is limited only to you know just a very superficial understanding of who he is of having knowledge about him but I never really tasted his compassion, his love, his mercy, his kindness, then maybe I don't have that built up, you know, deposit of love with God, that I don't feel that love that he has for me, so that when these thoughts of accusation come to me, the very first response I have is, no, God would never do that. God would never create something that is bad for me. God doesn't want me to be in pain. God doesn't want to hurt me. God is not trying to make me fall, you know. That happens when, what, when we know the character of God, when we know the love of God for us. And then finally, being wise in our own eyes. I think I know everything. I, I'm the only one with all of the answers, so that means everyone else around me and God himself is wrong. Finally, what is the consequences of accusing God? Very quickly. One is we lose trust in him. If I begin to think that God is working against me, and that God is doing what is wrong, I lose trust in him. I stop believing him completely. I stop, I stop trusting anything he does and anything he says. Two, I lose a sense of purpose of my life. The only thing that gives us purpose is that we have been created for a reason and that there, there is a goal and that that goal transcends the end of our life here on the world and that we continue to live. There is some greater purpose in my life than simply the day-to-day -day mundane activities that I experience. But when we begin to be angry toward God and accuse God, we begin to lose that sense of purpose. Our life begins to feel aimless. Like, what am I, what am I doing here? Like, who, why am I here at all? If it's not to be pleasing to God, if it's not to worship God, it's not to serve God in some way, if I'm not going to receive some reward from God, then why even am I here? What is the point of this life without that purpose? So when we begin these, these thoughts of accusation begin to enter into our mind, it's easy for me to lose my sense of purpose. Also, I neglect my spiritual discipline. And I neglect confession because I begin to feel like those things are not very important. Because again, I'm kind of in enmity with God. I, I'm angry at him. I am accusing him of something. I, he is unjust in my eyes. So why should I try to pray? Why should I want to confess? Why do I want to grow closer to him? And finally, I live with a sense of absence of comfort and an absence of peace. It's an unsettling feeling to be in enmity with God. It's an unsettling feeling to accuse God. It's a very unsettling because we have no life in and of ourselves. Our life comes from Him. And so if I, if I accuse Him, if I'm angry with Him, then I'm angry at the source of my life. I'm angry at the source of comfort. I'm angry at the source of peace. And that never results in anything good. So in conclusion today, we spoke about blaming God and we looked at the example of the people blaming Christ after casting out demons and they said that he was casting out demons by the power of the devil and we looked at many many examples of people that are accusing Christ or accusing God and we spoke about how we ourselves should be very mindful and careful not to accuse God because maybe our perception our understanding is wrong maybe we don't see things rightly as we ought and we don't see things the way that he does 
So may God grant us a spirit of faith to see with eyes of understanding and see with the eyes that are blessed by the Holy Spirit so that when we look at the actions of God, when we look at the things that He does and we look at the things that He says, we understand them with this lens of faith and not necessarily with our physical senses that do not really tell us the full story, but the faith and the understanding and the knowledge that God is loving and good to all of us and He is doing for us what is right. And glory be to God forever. Amen.